see, it's not about, I, I believe we've heard more preaching than we live, we're living. Amen. Because if we were living the preaching that we've been hearing, we wouldn't be in the condition that we're in. Several months ago, uh, we launched a new initiative. You may have seen the signs around town, South Campus and whatnot. And it's called, uh, Your City Needs You. Your zip codes, what we've been talking about. The zip codes that make up Family of Grace Church in central Louisiana. They need you. So whether you live in Alexandria, whether you live in Pineville, Boyce, or Natchitoches, or down around Cheneyville, or wherever you come from, to worship here and be part of this family. You're coming here to be equipped. You're coming here to celebrate. You're coming here to rejoice. You're coming here to be strengthened. You're coming here to be encouraged. You're coming here to be lifted up. You're coming here to have somebody put their arm around you and pray over you and support you and strengthen you so that you can go back out and begin to do what God has called us to do. What is that? To carry the ministry of reconciliation to a world that seems to be unreconcilable. Amen? Divorces happen many times, and sometimes it just comes down to this in the legal word. Irreconcilable differences. The world would have you think that we are at a point of irreconcilable differences in our nation. But I say unto you that that which is impossible with man is possible with God. I hold in my hand a copy of the Town Talk newspaper here. I had to borrow it because I don't take it. But... uh. Anyway, it says, uh, City Council, you may have seen this, City Council calls for a task force. I've had several conversations with you, some of you, over the last four to six weeks about what does this look like. You may remember that I've talked to you about not running out and just starting to do something presumptuously just because this, you've had an emotional stirring because what we're talking about here is not emotionalism. You see... Uh, the Christianity that we have today preaches to so many felt needs. So many felt needs. That it's so shallow to water down to that need that it's not capable of bringing about the victory that needs to be had. Now the interesting dynamic about that is that the whole gospel, the full gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, when rightly divided, will bring hope and peace and joy and discernment and direction no matter what the problem is. No matter what the problem is. You remember early on my sermon illustration in this past, in this, in this series was the little boy was at Sunday school and he kept getting all the answers wrong and his little buddy called him outside and he said, I can tell you how to get every answer right. Just say Jesus. If you're at church, just say Jesus. He's the sum of all equations. What if we believe that? What if we really believe Jesus is the answer for the world today? Now, this is interesting because we've been saying for quite some time at Family of Grace that the condition and the crime and the, the murders, you know, 16 deaths, violent deaths in our little area just of late. We're not talking about sh Chicago. It'd be much higher, but we're talking about right here. When you do that per capita, guys, it's getting real. And you know what? I wish it was as simple as getting a task force of people who don't like one another to go to an area where they don't like the people they're sending to resolve the problem. 
You cannot legislate morality. You cannot reconcile irreconcilable differences with force. It has to be a change of heart. And what I am calling for today is a task force of belief. A task force of optimism. A task force of hope. A task force that we go back to our neighborhoods and build the wall right in front of our house. Just like they did in the Old Testament when the walls of Jerusalem had been burned down and destroyed and the task was so great they couldn't do it. The conditions were so horrific it says they built the wall every man in front of his house one with a, tr with a tool in his hand and a weapon in his other hand. Now you talk about bad conditions. Imagine yourself going out there and and, and doing painting your house with a paintbrush in one hand and a 357 in the other. Just about where we are. But I am telling you that every man grabbing a hold of the fundamental principle that we believe the Word of God, that we are able to take the Word of God and appropriate it to our life, apply it to our life, and then appropriate it and apply it to our community, to our little area. Now, the first thing I want you to think about is this. What is needs? Well, needs are all over the place. And all the money in the world would not meet all the needs that we have. Money can't fix it. We're $20 trillion in debt as a nation, and we're in worse shape than ever before. The great experiment in the war on poverty didn't resolve it. It didn't fix it. Money can't fix it. You've got to connect with the hearts of people. You've got to connect with people right where they are and begin to minister to them right where they are. Needs are everywhere, but the problem is we're trying to minister to felt we're trying to minister to needs in the physical realm and not in the spiritual. Not needs that will fundamentally change the difference. We've been having a lot of conversation about felt needs in our circle of influence, and uh, I, I just had to look that up and find out what a felt need really was. And I looked at that up and it says, a felt needs are changes deemed necessary by people to correct the deficiencies they perceive in their community. Now think about that. Felt needs are changes that deemed are deemed necessary by people to correct the deficiencies that are perceived in their communities. You know why they're saying we need a task force? Because we have deficiencies. We have deficiencies. The same way you cannot legislate morality, you cannot arrest people to make them moral. Sinners do what sinners do. Don't be surprised when a man who does not know Jesus lives like he does not know Jesus. Be surprised when somebody that's blood-bought, sanctified, sealed with the Holy Spirit lives like the world and they say they know Jesus. That's when we should be in awe. Now, the interesting thing about this is uh, after last week's sermon my wife and i had a conversation about the word amaze she asked me are you amazing jesus is jesus amazed by you and don't you love it when your spouse puts you on the spot like that amen and we got to talking about that word amazed and so then i uh being the good student wanted to debate her on the definition of what it meant to be amazed amen and so in that place here's what the story was all about there's only two places that jesus was amazed by people by their belief and their unbelief three times in the scriptures 
One was with the little uh, widow who came and put her little mites in the offering box, a widow's mite. And Jesus marveled. And he was amazed, awe-stricken because of her faith that she gave from her decrease and not her increase. He stopped the show and said, look at this. She put in more than anybody else. And it was just one little mite. The other place was with uh, the centurion servant. He said, I know that you are a man like me who has men under your authority. You say come and they come. You say go and they go. And he says, I believe if you'll say to my family's sickness, to be healed, they can be healed. Jesus marveled. But then last week in the sermon, we looked in Mark. He says, and, and he marveled at their unbelief. And he could do no, he's amazed that they were so unbelieving. And said, that's just a carpenter's boy. So when you think about the deficiencies in what we must do, listen, and you say, well, what are you doing today, preacher? I mean, what are you doing? My question is, what are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing about the deficiencies? What are we doing? You know what we use church for today in America? The one moment where we can be safe, where we assimilate with people who look like us, act like us, live like us, worship like us, uh, eat what we eat, dress like we dress, and we all come together and we play it safe and we run inside and we sing Kumbaya, love lifted me when I was sinking deep in sin. If we can just get to heaven, well, praise the Lord. And our cities have all these deficiencies. Now, the government wants to do things to make it better, and I'm not here to beat up on the government, but I, I could do a good job on that on my soapbox like most of you. And I voted yesterday, so I have the right to complain. And uh, the, the interesting dynamic in this is they can't fix it. We have built parks all over the city that nobody uses. Because they feel too unsafe to use them. You can do, keep all the streets clean you want with litter. But until we begin to change the heart of people, people are locked in their homes. They're scared to death. No matter what neighborhood you're in. You don't just have to be on Levin Street to be scared to come out in your house after dark. You may live in some of the best neighborhoods in Alexandria and you feel the same way. That's why you have a security system. Why do you arm it when you're home? To let you know if somebody comes in. And so what must we do? We must, we must identify. We must identify the need. The task force here says they've identified the need. We're 266% more unsafe than the other places of our size. It's at Alexandria is that way. Woohoo! We're right in the middle of it. So what are we going to do? Well, we've got to identify the, the we've got to identify the needs. Jesus identified the needs. If you're going to stay and not go, then you've got to say, how am I going to make a difference if I'm staying? And that's what we've been talking about. That's what Jesus did. Sometimes he showed up and he made statements like this. The Bible says he was moved with compassion because he saw him as sheep with no shepherd and they were just overwhelmed. He healed people. Sometimes he met spiritual needs. Sometimes he met physical needs. Sometimes he met the physical need first and then met the spiritual need. And sometimes he met the spiritual need and then he turned to him and said something like this, feed them, don't let them go away hungry. But the reality is what come first, the chicken or the egg? Does it really matter? You enjoy both today. Amen. Now, the interesting dynamic is this. 
that if we have deficiencies in our communities in Jesus, if Jesus, God in the flesh, went around looking for a way to apply his life to the situation, then we should do the same. We should identify where our life can make a difference. In a small group, who cares what it looks like? Whether it meets in your living room on a, at night or whether it meets in your garage where you work on cars or whether it meets in your, in your break room at the bank where you work or wherever you are, that we begin to assimilate people to identify how we can make a difference, how we can make a difference in this concept. You see, we have moved from the place of living in communities. You with me? We used, we've gone from living in communities to living in neighborhoods to living in houses to now living in rooms. It's my man cave. That's where I spend my time. If I need something, I'll text them. Bring it to me. Texting from one end of the house to the other. I'm guilty of that. Laying there at night, kids all on the other side of the house. Let me text them. Are you in bed yet? You just laugh because you're picking up what I'm putting down. You've probably done it. We lived in communities where we sat on front porches to living in neighborhoods where we sat in backyards to living in houses to now being isolated in rooms and parents can't even go in their children's rooms in some cases. Now, so what must we do? We must, we, we must re-engage the lost art of listening. If you will listen, people will tell you what you need to know. You don't have to listen very long. And you'll begin to know what your community needs. Re-engaging the lost art of listening. Not to respond, but to understand. Jesus listened. Listened to the point that he was marveled at the statement of that centurion was amazed at his faith. Listen to the point where they belittled him and said, you're just a carpenter's son and there's no difference. That what you, where, where do you get this stuff? And he was amazed at their unbelief. He was amazed at their belief. He was amazed at their unbelief. But if you listen, you will hear the heart's cry of your neighborhood. And we can begin to pray about how do we do that? How do we identify the needs that people have? Whether they're physical. Sometimes you've got to meet physical needs before you can meet a spiritual. See, I believe it's been one of the tragedies that the church has either done one or the other. I remember one time I tried to get this church to partner with us on an outreach project, and they said, well, we'll go with you if you promise you're not going to tell them about Jesus after you give them a barbecue sandwich. Okay. Why, why is it like that? Why do we have people who want to hyper-evangelize and then we have those who don't want to evangelize? You know what? We're, we're getting ready for a crusade next year in central Louisiana and that's going to be great and wonderful. But you know what? Crusades aren't going to fix our problems. We've been having those for years. Billy Graham was the master of crusades. What a wonderful man of God that preached all around the world to hundreds of thousands. But you're not going to change the makeup and the deficiencies of a community for the sake of the gospel for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the gospel. Here's why I'm preaching you this to you. Because he appointed us as his ambassadors, as his spokespersons, to make a difference. 
to make a difference. You're not going to do that in mass groups of people. You're going to do that one-on-one, walking down the street, making neighbors, knowing the people where you live. We have living in communities, are living in neighborhoods, are living in houses, are living in rooms. So much that there's somebody new that moved into our neighborhood. My wife and I were out walking the other night on a rare occasion. And uh, we, uh, she said, those people are never home. I've never seen, I've never seen any life around that house. About that time, the car lights flashed. I said, well, there you go. I told you somebody lived there. Now, isn't that amazing that the conversations we have is somebody that does, do they live there? Do they not? Do they live there? The mystery. The mystery. To put our ear to the heartbeat of our community. Identify the needs. And then, then moving right along, uh, the next thing is after you identify them, you must pray through and establish a pathway that will permanently alter the culture of an area for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of the gospel. Unpure, I mean, motives that are so pure. Not for the sake of attracting new businesses. Not for the sake of getting more economy, the economy moving in our city. For the sake of the gospel. If you get people healthy... Spiritually, physically, emotionally, intellectually. If you get them healthy in all those areas, health will come. Health will come. One of the guys, Alan Briggs, matter of fact, the guy that wrote this book, he talks about quite a bit, and when I've had several conversations with him, and he's done a couple of sessions with our staff, he's always said, seek health. If you'll seek health, growth will come. Seek health. Seek health. Now, so let me just give you this in Acts 2. You can turn there if you want to, but Jesus had just ascended into heaven. And uh, it says in verse 12, Jesus, Jesus told him to go in Acts 1 and 8 and stuff and wait for the promise of the Father. So in verse 12, it says, They returned to Jerusalem to the mount called Olive Grove, or Oliviet, and which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. And there was Peter and John, James and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphas and Simon the Zealot and Judas and the son of James. And all these continually prayed in united prayer along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. And during those days... Peter stood up among them with the brothers and and the number of people were together about 120 and they began to believe God. Began to believe God. I preached a message a couple of weeks ago at South Campus on believing prayer, prayer that believes and that maybe we're doing more ministry than we can pray over. I told him last night, I said, don't be surprised if you don't hear that again on a Sunday morning. Because I believe we have lost the art of praying. Because we have lost the art of listening. Praying is not about talking. It's more about listening. Being still and knowing that he's God. Matter of fact, I told him in staff meeting, they said, what we're going to do about it? I said, well, I'll tell you the first thing we're going to do about it. We're going to start praying like never before. We're going to start believing God like never before. I said, maybe, just maybe down here at this south campus, the first thing we need to do is just build a prayer room. Well, there's an interesting thought. 
the sad fact that we got to come back to, well, boys, everything else failed. Let's build a prayer room. A place where we can get still and know that he's God. Maybe we need to get together and begin to seek the Lord and pray through and establish a pathway that will permanently alter the whole area, the zip code where you live. Where you live. Did you know you can make a difference in that zip code? Whether it's rural, whether it's in the city, whether it's urban, whether it's a, no matter what it is, you can make a difference. And the people of that city are crying out for somebody. And the only people that want to say anything is people that are willing to do it with unpure motives. Oh yeah, they'll give you a big reason why they're doing it, but that's really not why they're doing it. They have a selfish motive. There's a saying in this world that says, if it's too good to be true, it's pretty much not true. There's always a catch. When you think about what God is doing, we must pray through. And that's what these guys went and did. They got still and began to believe God. They began to believe God. The deficit is too great. Do you, do you realize the, the conflict that is in our nation amongst people in the African American communities and the law enforcement? It's crazy. The lack of trust. Is all over the place. Yet we think what we're going to do is send a bunch more law enforcement into other areas and it's all going to be better. We need a task force of hope, a task force of peace, a task force of love to move forward. We must assimilate like-minded people who share the vision. They had lost a disciple here along the way and so they had to select another one. And so at the end of this passage of Scripture in Acts, it says... So they proposed two men, and they called them together. And they said, we got to know. They prayed in verse 24. Then they prayed, Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show which one of these men you have chosen to take the place in the apostolic service. Well, that's scary. In the apostolic service, man. Well, maybe it just needs to be in the cooking Kool-Aid service in your community right where you are. Assimilate like-minded people in your neighborhood, at your work, that can make a difference. Engage the people group around you. Now, if you have some questions that you would like to answer, it would be my greatest joy and privilege and opportunity to do that. I'd like to take a few minutes to do that. And as they're kind of going around picking up your questions that you may have, what I'd, like, what I'd like to do is close with this. I want to show you this diagram. I want to show you this diagram. And on this diagram, it's interesting because here's what I'm talking to you about. When you look at this Venn diagram here, there's three circles. And there's individual, there's the individual person, there's the family, and there's the church. Now, the interesting dynamic is this. The interesting dynamic is this. That these are three rings that have a collective overlap, but normally they never overlap. They don't. Matter of fact, when you look at it and you realize what this is all about, individually, we could have several different groups. You go to your work, you do what you do at your work, correct? And you come home. And then you do what you do with your family. And then y'all do family together. What does that look like? Well, you may go to church together. That's one group there. And then you may go play ball together. Maybe you take them to gymnastics or dance or basket weaving or whatever it is that they're into. 
and you take them and you and they do that as a family and then and then everybody gets up and they go to church they go to church and then we go and we do our projects and we check our boxes and say well we did the things for the church we did the things for the community but what we're talking about in this new dynamic and what God is saying here in our life is that we're trying to get to the place where we have the collective overlap where all three meet. That we shouldn't be in different areas. That they should all come together. And I want you to think about when I go to work, how do I make a difference at work? I'm not saying take your Bible and start preaching there. How do I make a difference at work? How do I make a difference in my family? And how my family, how does my family make a difference where we live? And how does my family make a difference at church? See, there's the collective overlap that we must find. And if staying is a new going, then this is a new concept. That they shouldn't be three separate rings, but they should all interconnect. You shouldn't have to go put on your work hat. You shouldn't have to go and put on your, your, your family hat. You shouldn't have to go put on your church hat. You should just be able to go there and right in that place, in that spot, make a difference. And so when you look at that and you realize what we're saying, this is the area. But look how big these other areas are. Isn't it so much easier to be in these two areas then to focus that in and get right there on that very mark. Isn't it so hard to find the collective overlap? You see, what we need is not just a, a ring of a task force. We need balance. We need balance in the human life that's living here and walking out those collective overlaps so that we understand what we're doing and where we're going and, and all of those dynamics. So here's what I want to ask you in closing. Jesus did it. He empowered his disciples to do it. And I could preach now through the book of Acts, which would take me a while because it's 28 chapters. And it doesn't have an amen at the end of it. You know why? Because Acts is the account of the early church. And the book of Acts is still being written. The book of Acts is the stories of the apostles that Jesus empowered to go and individually embrace a community, collectively embrace a community, as a family embrace a community and share the gospel. Someone just this week was upset and said, I don't know why we got to go to Peru and do ministry in Peru. The much need as we got around here. Well, because well, he said to. He says to go into all these areas and make a difference. I'm glad that those guys went. Because you and I are a product of somebody carrying the commission of Jesus in a local context to the fullness of what he said. Now, guys, we can make a difference. Our city needs us, but more than our city needs us, heaven needs us. Because he didn't enlist donkeys and roosters to fulfill the Great Commission, although we know he used those to get his points across in the Old Testament and New Testament. He chose to use us. So what does this look like in a collective overlap? So there's a lot of things that I'd like to do. And if you really want to explore this and really want to know what it looks like, 
And let us know. We're going to get together in a small group and flesh this out and share ideas. There's several things that you can do in, at work and in your neighborhood and at church to help sh- change the trajectory of your neighborhood by empowering these things to connect together in a collective overlap for the sake of the gospel. This is more than we can do in this kind of setting. There's several books that you can pick up and read that will help you on the how-to. There's a book called The Art of Neighboring. It's a phenomenal book. I need to read that book because it's hard to neighbor in my neighborhood because we live not just in homes, but in my neighborhood we live in rooms. There's another book called The Turquoise Table, Bringing Life Back Out to the Front Yard. Maybe that's a book you want to read. There's another book called Prayer Partners, Learning How to Pray Effectively Geographically Over an Area. Being faithfully present. There's many ways that we can do this. How do we identify the the needs? How do we assimilate the people? How do we pray through the current plan that God wants to use for this day and this time? And then how do we go and engage a group of people that is unengaged? Amen? So would you join me on that journey? Maybe today you've got a question you want to ask. We're going to close this out a little bit different today. If there's a question you have, you want to ask, I'll be glad to... Tra- Did you get some, Ashley? You got some questions there? All right. You got a question right there? Okay. Anybody else wrote something down you want me to look at? Uh, any questions? All right. So here's our question that we have. How do we identify the needs? How do we identify the needs is the first question. So... One of the ways that you do that, uh, I believe, is an old art that we're trying to re-engage, and it's called walking. Walking your neighborhood. And then that leads to praying as you're walking. We, we have a neighbor in our neighborhood that has mastered the art of walking. I don't care what time, it, we always see this couple walking. Matter of fact, if I need to know something in my neighborhood, you know who I'm going to go to? That couple. They know more people in my neighborhood than anybody else. And maybe that's where we start because, because like we were having a conversation in my neighborhood, does somebody live there or do they not live there? Because they, the, they don't live in public anymore. So if like these people are forever just catching people out in their yard and, and, and meeting them meeting them and so that's one of one of the ways to begin to identify needs and when you do that you can begin to have conversation either as you're walking by first of all as a matter of fact that happened this week we talked to a couple of people just as we were walking they were outside and you know walked by and spoke as we were going not to be too high pressure on them you know but then as you begin to build relationships and listen when you listen they'll tell you what the needs are they'll tell you what they feel like the need of your community is now, you realize all these communities are different, but the need are all the same. Behind every door is a broken heart. You say, preacher, you're nuts. I know that, and they've been saying that for years. That's not a news alert. It may not be nuts. They may not be broken because their spouse just walked out or their kids are strung out on heroin, but it might be because their, their, their wife of 65 years is struggling with, with cancer or, or is weak or something. This one guy we spoke to, when we were remodeling our house, him and his wife walked every day, every day, every day. And we noticed they just hadn't been walking anymore. 
And so when we seen him this week, we was like, man, how's your wife? Oh, she's great. I guess it's just too hot to walk or something. I don't know. But you begin to pick up on those things. So that's, that's one way that you can identify that. The main way to identify the needs in your community, though, is have conversations, not to speak to them, but to more than to listen. And another question is how to assimilate like-minded people. Well, one of the ways that we're going to do this in our neighborhood that we've been talking about is how to find those people. Find those people that you feel like understand neighboring. This one couple is probably be the preacher's ambassador because they know more than I know. You know, so find somebody in your area. And every area has somebody that's in everybody's business. And if you'll just go have coffee with them, they'll tell you what you need to know. Some of it will be gossip. Some of it will be amen. And so you'll begin to, as you re-engage in the, in the art of getting out in the neighborhood, and that's one of the best ways that we've really been praying about, and uh, uh, to really begin to know your people. And so man, if you're in a rural area and, they, and, you're, and people are far, far apart, you may want to get a bicycle. <laughs> and so, uh, so that's one way to assimilate them. And then, and then as you get to know them, just say, hey, man, would you, would you like to have some coffee or tea or, or something simple? And then just begin to, you know, in the book, uh, Staying is a New Going, he talked about one of the things that him and his wife did was free coffee Friday. It's something they do every Friday. They just have coffee out in their front yard. But their motive, their motive was not to convert everybody, but to build relationships. And let me pause right here, because I really want to stress this. I really want to stress this. In the church, we've been so hyper-evangelistically driven that it's been all about them coming to know Jesus. Now, you know I'm a soul winner. I love to see people come to know Jesus. But that shouldn't be the end of it. So, in other words, what if they never go to your church? What if they never come to know your Jesus? Are they still worth your time? Are they still worth your relationship? Are they still worth you investing in them? See, where we have failed in the past in the Christian movement is we've been all about the spiritual, and so when they reject the spiritual, we have nothing to cross back over on. But when you build a relationship first, and it's a bridge to that person's heart, then when you build that bridge and you connect with them in the physical to meet their needs spiritual, then in that dynamic, it takes on a whole new component. And they may reject your Jesus, but you know what you get to do? Walk back across your bridge, go back to your house, do life, and a few weeks later, walk back across that bridge and have coffee with them again. Does that make sense? And so what if they never come to know your Jesus? Are they still worth our time? Well, I say unto you that they were worth Jesus' time because he died for the whole world that they might come to know Jesus Christ. Here's another question right here we have. So how can I make a difference? Well, that's where it comes down to just really praying specifically about what is your gift? What is your gift? Mr. Billy Hickman's not in here, and I'll pick on him. Mr. Billy Hickman's gift is he just likes to cook. And every Friday at the South Campus, he, he cooks a lunch. He, we get there early in the morning for sermon prep, start our meeting at 7 o'clock, and he's just about there at that time. And do you know Mr. Billy Hickman has one of the strongest evangelistic outreach groups that we have. Because every Friday, we bring unchurched people in there. People come, leave their work, bring co-workers from their work, and come and 
and, and do lunch. Now, Mr. Billy may be mad at me because his numbers may go from 30 to 60 after this conversation. But that's his giftedness. That's what he does. It just works. Did you know that's a small group? And they don't meet in the living room. They don't necessarily go over the, the fundamentals, four spiritual laws or anything. But they're doing life together. And do you know what's happening? We're starting to see some of those people. We're ministering to them in the physical. And then they're coming in and we're starting to minister to them in the spiritual. And so you've got to pray through, what's my giftedness? What, what do I like to do? Does it breathe life into me? I mean, don't try to do something that sucks life out of you. Because you're going to get mad and quit. It's just going to bleed you dry. So find something that you like to do and, and just do it. And, you know, as you're walking through that, you know, again, going back to Alan, uh, he, he uh, this is what they like to do. They like to make coffee. They like to bring people over and, uh, and just begin to get to know them. And so that's where these books, do we have a copy of those pictures of those books just so they can see what they look like? That's where this turquoise table is going to come in to give you good ideas on what are some different things. You may not be very creative. Here's some ideas that you can start praying over which one may be the best bet for you. Uh, that art of neighboring gives you good ideas. This is what I want to do. One reason I want to really, people that are interested in doing this, really get us in a small group together so that we can really and truly start having conversation. So, oh, oh, oh well, Billy, you're cooking a lunch and bringing people over. Well, well, Danny, what are you doing? Well, Bob, what are you doing? You know, and it's, you know, it's that, it's that, that talk back and forth. And, well, man, how can I help you? How can I pray for that? How can I do this? And, oh, that's a good idea. And, and, you know, you need to meet with people who are in the same situation that you're in. So, like, if you live in a rural area, don't meet with somebody who lives in a city because you're ministering to two different groups of people, the closeness and proximity. You know, uh, some, some man once said fences make good neighbors, uh, and the people in the rural area said, no, space makes good neighbors. And so when you think about that, it's, it's, it's you know, you may have to have a whole different mindset about how you do life there, but these are some of the books that will really train you and help you get in that area are there any other questions that I, I can ask somebody have one you didn't write down you want me to just ask it answer it for you somebody have one all right so what i'd like for us to do today is i would like for us to move from being and I'm preaching to myself here, talking to myself, from being so wrapped up in my own world that I begin to love my neighbor as myself. As someone once put so eloquently, they said, the problem is that uh, uh, most people don't love themselves anymore. And so maybe for you, you need to start realizing that God loves you and God's got a plan for you and you need to start right there. Now understand something, you can't give what you don't have. And if you want to be a blessing, you've got to be blessed. And so the first thing you have to do is begin to let God work in your personal life. You remember those, that Venn diagram individually? You need to let God work in your life individually for his name's sake. And then for your family's sake. And then for your church and your community's sake. For the sake of others. Amen? So the first thing you may need to do is start that relationship with him. Maybe you need to rekindle that relationship with him. And then you're saying, preacher, the last thing I need is something else to do. Can you put that Venn diagram back up there one more time for me? I just want to close with this. I'm not asking for you to have something else to do. 
you know, when I read that in that book, Free Coffee Friday, and every Friday they pass out coffee in their neighborhood, I, I just, like, almost started having a, 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 a nightmare. Like, oh, my God, every Friday I got to do that every Friday? Every Friday? I can't make that commitment. Well, you may not, I may not be able to make the commitment you can make. We're not asking you to have another project. What we're asking for you to do is to find this collective overlap. So that you and your family are not creating something else. But you're finding the areas that it already overlaps. And you're doing life there. You're doing life there. You're doing life there. You're already taking a break at work. You're already having lunch during the day. You're already going to the ballpark. You're already taking your kid down in the family circle to the soccer match. You're already doing all this stuff. So just change your agenda and say, Lord, I want to take my life and let my life influence people. Influence people. I had a conversation about this before this task force ever came out. Someone told me, he said, well, we can make a difference, but it's going to have to go from house to house neighborhood to neighborhood, block by block telling people about how to have hope again how to band together what God wants to do in their heart and life and you know what's interesting, that's not something new <laughs> he told us to do that 2,000 years ago from house to house from heart to heart seeking him in the collective overlap and so that Individually, it's circling with my family. And then as my family is moving through the church, it's not another project, but it's just who we are. That it comes out of us. It oozes out of us. This art of neighboring. That I'm a good neighbor at the church. You know. That I'm a good neighbor in my neighborhood. That I'm a good neighbor at my work. People can count on me. They can trust me. I'll be there, Father. Amen. So what I want to do today, I just want to close with prayer. And maybe you just need to ask God, Lord, where do I start? Maybe you want to email me this week and, and just say, Pastor, I need to sit down. I need to talk to you about this some more. I want to do this. I want to walk it out. But my gosh, I'm scared to death. I'm scared of a commitment this size. I'm scared of what else may happen. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you'll speak to our hearts. You'll speak to our lives. Lord, we had three councilmen that went to the public forum and said, we need a task force of law enforcement to make a difference. God, we, our, Lord, I agree with those three councilmen. God, our city is in a mess. Lord, I think they spread the light on a lot of things that most people didn't realize how bad it was. But Lord, God, we need a task force, Lord, of the, the Bible-believing Christian, moving and doing life in a fallen world and diffusing the fragrance of life everywhere they go. Now, God, may you start in our heart today. Lord, I don't know what that looks like on an individual basis. I don't know what it looks like for in the familiar circles. But, Lord, I know what it looks like in our church. It means that we are trying to reach across racial and cultural generations economical barriers 
to help people to become all that you've designed them to be. To take the functional gospel to a dysfunctional world. To bring hope, health, and healing. In Jesus' name, amen.